All right, whatever. Here we go. Okay, ready? We, yeah, stop okay. fucking around. All right, here we go. Are we all angry and constant? I don't know. <laughs> Are we just like constipated? <laughs> Welcome to Murder Brunch. We are the Murder Brunch Bunch. I'm Joe. I'm Rachel. I'm Clinton. This is the podcast where we give you two tales of mayhem and murder and discuss where killer lies on Dr. Stone's scale of evil. What do you think Dr. Stone's doing for Thanksgiving? I bet he's got a bunch of grandkids and shit like that. He's pretty old. He's pretty old. I hope he's not like in the home. Oh my god! What if he's ha- what? Oh, what if he's having like a little frozen turkey dinner or something like that? Mike, Doctor Michael Stone, you're welcome to come to my house for Thanksgiving. I just want to put that out there. And what are you having for Thanksgiving, Rachel? Very nice. <laughs> Organic. Uh, <laughs> uh, Clinton is giving me shit because we're not doing turkey this year. No, I'm doing a rib roast, which I'm excited about, so don't be mean to me about it's it. It's exciting. It's it just is. not traditional. It is not traditional. But Food I like... traditions are important. And I... you know, Clinton is very conservative. Very conservative. And he believes in a traditional way of life. <laughs> he and his husband. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. That's Clinton all over. Uh, but yeah, we're doing a rib roast, and I'm going to make an apple pie. I'm going to try anyway. We'll see how that turns out. What are you doing, Clinton? I also will be baking a pie, but it will be pumpkin. Mm, gross. <laughs> <laughs> I just pumpkin. You know what it is? Pumpkin is not sweet enough for me. Technically, I'm not even a big fan of apple pie. My husband likes apple pie. That's I why like I'm a good it. apple pie. I like the caramel apple pie. And that's what I'm going to try to do. I'm doing a salted caramel apple pie. Are you going to put cheese on it? Cheddar no. cheese? Oh, uh, Joe and I have an uncle who. That's what he does. No, that's a thing. That's a big no, thing. I, can, I, I know, but that's this. the only person I've seen in real life who does it. I remember seeing him do it for the first time, and it was like one of those things where like you edge closer to dad, and you're like, what? Uncle doing over there. <laughs> yeah. It was very odd. It was almost like you're wa- it's like you're watching him murder somebody and you're like, what's happening? I don't, there I don't understand. Is. Now we brought it full circle. And segue. <laughs> uh, Scene. Speaking of murder. Here we go. We've got two news stories for you on murder brunch. Speaking of which, we haven't really heard from a lot of people lately. If you feel like reaching out to us, we do have Twitter and Instagram and a Gmail account for all those. I'm sure drafts of emails you're holding We're on all of the typical socials, so feel free to send us lengthy emails or just a tweet. (laughs) And remember to rate, review, and subscribe because, of course, the numbers help... Get us out there. I don't know. Help us somehow. So. Yeah. We, we just really like will some we, A pluses. Will we stop <laughs> doing this? No. Will we no. always talk about this? Yes. Might as well record it and send it out to all of you. <laughs> really what it comes down to is we're all ex-teacher pets and we need our A pluses and our grades. And we also are attention whores mm. and really need everybody to look at us at all times. Mm-hmm. I personally just like people telling me all the mistakes that we make and how <laughs> terrible we sound on the air. That's, That's because just you, you're, you're not the one making mistakes because you don't write the stories. That's true. Mm. But you can reach us on all the socials and at murderbrunchbunch at gmail.com. But for now, sit back, relax, and join us. Pour yourself a mimosa. Here we go. All right, let's get to it and see what we're having for brunch today. What are we having for brunch, Clinton? We have a lovely spread today. We had some pickles, 
some olives, <laughs> That's what we always cheese and crackers. <laughs> hey, I make a good charcuterie board. You do. And a selection of cheesecakes, tiny cheesecakes. Yes, and... we had mini cheesecakes, lots of different little flavors. There's a bakery here in town that makes amazing cheesecakes. Mine had fruity pebbles in them. Yes, it did. It was, it was odd. <laughs> Mine was pumpkin. It's fall. Yeah. And then what are we drinking? Um, I uh, stuck with a classic today. Uh, what are they called? Mimosas. <laughs> Mimosas. I've had two. <laughs> and it shows. Already. <laughs> it's a classic because what I'm doing today for my murder is a classic. So shall we get into it? Please. Jump in with both feet. Are we going to be able to keep our feet? Nobody gets their feet chopped yeah, off. Yeah, nobody gets one? their feet chopped right, okay. Sorry. Spoiler. <laughs> um, okay. So... Today, I am presenting to you the murder of Kitty Genovese. Ah, yes. It is an important murder, and it is something that we have brought up in a previous episode. So, let's get to it. Catherine Susan Genovese, also known as Kitty, was born on July 7th, 1935, in Brooklyn, New York. She was the oldest sibling of five, a good student, and voted class cut-up in high school. After graduation, she moved to Queens, working as a secretary during the day and a bar manager at night. That's interesting. Yeah. And something that really annoyed me, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm a feminist. Who knows? They, a lot of the articles that came out when she died said that she was a barmaid. And, oh. and it's like, no, she was the manager. Thank yeah. you very much. She was in charge of everything. Yes. And what, um, like at 18, like just right after graduating, she was doing these things or... Pretty Something much. Hmm. Yeah, so I mean, like, uh, the night in question that we're talking about, she was about 29. Okay. Okay. At 2.30 a.m. on March 13th, 1964, Kitty was walking home to a fairly large apartment building from her manager job when a man attacked her with a knife. She tried running from him and was right outside her building when he caught up to her and stabbed her repeatedly in the back, all the while she's screaming for help. A neighbor heard the screaming and yelled from his open window, let that girl alone. And that's a direct quote. Let that girl alone. At that, the attacker fled the scene. Kitty, now severely wounded, stumbled slash crawled around the building to the back of the apartment. She entered the doorway to the stairs of the building and collapsed at the base. Ten minutes later, the man returned, found her in the stairwell and renewed the attack. I didn't write this down, but the attack, when all said and done, they thought it came to about 35 minutes, and it consisted of possibly three separate attacks where this guy left and came back and then left and came back. Yeah. That's what I think so horrifying is that it's just so, it's just so long. It's just so long of her. Also, can you imagine you're attacked, you get somewhere. You think you're safe. You stop, and then all of a sudden he is back. Yeah. All right. He continued to stab her rape her and stole her money before leaving this time a man whose apartment was located at the top of the stairs opened his door to investigate the noise and saw the attack he retreated inside and called his girlfriend who told him not to get involved after her murder the new york times ran an article detailing the outrageous circumstance that there were a total of 38 eyewitnesses who saw the attack but did nothing They all said that they simply did not want to get involved. The case is credited as one of the reasons for the creation of 911 and is taught in sociology classes as an example of human conditioning. However, as it turns out, the New York Times article was sensationalized. 
There were, in fact, 38 witnesses interviewed by police, but most only heard one random scream that woke them from sleep. And then they went back to sleep. It was, I think you said 2 a.m. when it started. Yeah, 2.30, yeah. right? But they never saw anything. So there was actually only about four eyewitnesses who actually saw anything. And some said that when they called the police department, like they actually did, they were told by the police that they had already received calls and they were working on it. However, those calls were never corroborated with the police call records themselves. However, this was also at a time where police call records were handwritten. Yeah. And one woman, I watched this documentary, and she said she called the police, but before she could even finish her sentence, they were saying, yeah, we got calls, we're, we're working on it. So it's almost like it's 1960s in New York, which is not a safe time. Are you not listening? Like, maybe it's a different thing. Who knows what they're actually thinking of? Well, all I can think is, so at, at this time, they could probably... St- they probably knew where the calls were coming from. There was something like an operator or something telling them like, we're getting calls from the same area. Mm-hmm. And so they, they may have already started work on it, but it's the speed of how things work or all I'm saying is that the cops may not have brushed it off as, as quickly as we think. Right. But again, you know, they didn't even have records that anybody called. Right. They had like two calls that night or something like mm-hmm. that actually written down. One of Kitty's friends and neighbors actually rushed to her side when she found out about the attack. She was by Kitty's side in the stairwell and held her until the ambulance arrived. But Kitty died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. A week later, the police received a call concerning a man performing a home robbery. Upon arrival, they found Winston Mosley with a stolen TV in his trunk. He was driving a white Corvair, which matched some of the eyewitness reports of the cars that were around during Kitty's attack. Winston Mosley, described as a surprisingly small African-American man. Surprisingly small? Yeah, that's what they said. That's what cops described him as. I know, but what would be surprisingly small? Like, four foot? <laughs> or like even just 5'2 to 5'4 for a guy. Is, I yeah, I mean, he was, and he was very thin. Yeah. And, you know, he was just small all around. He was born March 2nd, 1935. At the time of the murder, he was 29 years old with a high-paying job married and had three children he also had no prior police record that's wild Mm -hmm. are we going to get into the motive of why he did what he did well that's that's a question so i mean we'll we'll talk about it yeah back at the police station winston mosley ultimately confessed to kitty's murders as well as several other rapes and two other murders the murders of annie mae johnson and barbara crawlick in the case of annie mae johnson he caught her outside her house and stabbed her Then he dragged her into her home and raped her while the rest of her family slept upstairs. Oh, my God. When he noticed that she was still alive, Mosley stacked newspapers around her and lit the house on fire. So her family was still inside while the house was on fire? Yes. However, I did not find any information if, like, the the fatalities during that. Um, They were just specifically talking about Annie Mae Johnson in relation to him. I don't know if anybody else died in the fire. I would be a little curious about that one. If you know, let us let yeah, us know. Right. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I'm not chiming in much, but I am gasping and yes. shocking and wide eyed at all of these statements. <laughs> he is clutching his pearls as we speak. Yeah. As for Kitty's murder, he did not give a reason for the murder at the time, but he did say that he woke at 2 a.m. and left his house specifically to drive around to find a woman to kill. So he's a hunter, mm, predator, yeah. right? 
years later, he would say that he was actually nothing more than a getaway driver for the real perpetrator, who was a member of the Italian mafia and killed her because she, quote, owed him. Mm -hmm. Which kind of has a bit of traction because she was once arrested for being a go-between for a bookie. So, because she worked at the bar, the patrons would give her money for the bets and she would actually contact the bookie to do to whatever you know bookies do so the idea is that she might have been like skimming money off the top or something like that and this mafia guy was like i'm gonna take revenge on her yes an interesting fact is that the the picture that you think of when you think of this case her famous picture what that they plastered everywhere is actually her mugshot from when she was arrested she's so pretty in that picture i know right Mm. good for her (laughs) um so but then he also told his family that he killed kitty because she actually was verbally accosting him with racial slurs because it was a time of racial tension and i guess she let him have it for some reason but let's say that happened it doesn't account for amy johnson because she was African-American. Well, I mean, she, I guess she could have still been thrown around racial but if you're, if you're saying, But I mean, yeah. like, if you're saying that I'm, I'm killing white women because they're racists. Well, you know? and I also, I don't want to say, there's no justification for throwing around racial slurs, but at the same time, that doesn't give you the right to murder and rape someone. Agreed. So. And, of course, no one seems to believe either of these stories. Yeah. I think that's the real crux of it. I don't think... Yeah, I mean, I mean like, serious, yeah, seriously, dude, come on. Who are you talking to? There is another theory that some third parties have that he actually killed her because he somehow knew or found out that she was a lesbian. She was, in fact, living with her girlfriend at the time. And according to some reports, it was not a secret among patrons at the bar in which she worked. On June 15th, 1964, Winston Mosley was convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to death. But after an appeal in 1967, it was reduced to life in prison. Boo. Mm. On uh, March 18th, 1968, he escaped from prison. What? He was out for five days, and in that time, he held a couple hostage and raped the wife. And then he held another woman and her daughter hostage, but ultimately let them go unharmed when the police showed up. He received two 15-year sentences for those actions to run concurrently with his license. He was first eligible for parole. Yes, you heard me right, listeners. He's eligible for parole. When you said concurrently, I was just like, no, those should be consecutively. He should be living the rest of his life in jail. And I mean, if ever there was an argument for not having been rehabilitated, it's escaping from your prison, (laughs) doing more things. Right. And if you're a believer of three strikes, I feel like Winston has gotten about seven at this point. And he didn't like... He didn't escape and go, I'm going to lie low a little bit. Right. Five days. Yeah. And he, he created that kind of carnage. Because she broke into it. It was an empty house, right? And then the owners of the house came to, like, look at it and make sure everything was cool and stuff. Found him there. And he's like, well, I guess since we're all here, let me rape your wife. Oh, my you God. You know? So he was first eligible for parole in 1984, but showed little to no remorse and actually called himself a victim due to the high notoriety of the case. And then I wrote, because apparently I was very upset by this point. (laughs) Check out this shitty ass quote from this SOB. (laughs) Quote, for a victim outside, it's a one time or one hour or one minute affair. But for the person who's caught, it's forever. Fuck you. 
Oh, he didn't say fuck you. That's me. I'm That's saying you. fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> I am a... He's saying, like, Kitty experienced one hour, one minute yeah, yeah. of, of no, no, whatever. No, no. It's and... done for her. I'm sure her family doesn't feel anything at all. Wow. Wow, that's a terrible quote. I didn't feel like I was going to be so upset or whatever when doing research for this one because it's older and you, you kind of know it. You've I've seen things about it and stuff like that. But doing the research, I'm like, this is stupid fucking shit. <laughs> well, and I think part of that might be because despite the theories for why we think he did it, mm-hmm. I don't think any of them hold water. I think this was a random attack. He saw a woman walking home alone and he and he took advantage of the situation. Because he's done it before. Because he's done it before. I don't think the whole, the, the bookie thing, even the lesbian thing, like, how would he know? It doesn't say he lived in that apartment building. It doesn't say he frequented that bar. Like, how would he know about her, her sexual preferences? It's not preference, though. We're not supposed to say that anymore, is it? It's sexual orientation. Sure, I'm not a lesbian. No, I know, but I need you to speak for the gay community. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure what's current proper. I think it's, I think, I know this is a, a tangent, but I think we're not supposed to say preference anymore because it, that makes it sound more like a choice. Like orientation uh-huh. is, is. That makes sense. Yeah, it's supposed to be more like, this is just how you are. But then like, what if you don't like short guys? Then <laughs> that's then, a preference? Then that's a preference. That's a preference. Yeah. Because maybe, Love you, short maybe guys. stop being shallow and talk to them and get to know them a little bit. Right. Um, also, you like who you like and do whatever you want. You're a grown-ass person. True. Um, okay. He was denied parole 18 times, the last being in November 2015. Wow. He died in prison on March 28th, 2016, at the age of 81. That's just weird that it's so current. Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. He had served 52 years, making him one of the longest-serving inmates in the New York State prison system. Hmm. Oh, I didn't tell you how he uh, escaped. Oh, yeah. Or uh, subsequently caught. Like, I mean, obviously there was the two he had, he incidents. Had the, well, but... he had the people hostage when the police showed up. Oh, the, yeah, okay. the second two. Yeah, okay. the second right, two. Right, right. Yeah, okay. second um, two. Mom and daughter. Yeah. Um, I think, like, someone actually called the police on that one. Called the new 911. Now that 911 exists. Ooh, honey, let's try this new 911. That guy looks suspicious. <laughs> Yikes. Yikes, indeed. He escaped from prison because he had to go to the hospital to get surgery for a wound he inflicted on himself. Like with a shiv? Yeah, I guess. Who knows? And so after the surgery, when they were transporting him back to the prison, he hit the guard, stole his gun, and then ran away. And that's how he escaped. Makes me wonder where the medical offices were in in comparison to where the prison was like where I mean, was he had, walking they had to, no they had to go to a hospital oh, okay so he actually had to leave the prison yeah they don't okay. do surgery in the prison why not <laughs> haven't you seen every horror movie ever made <laughs> yeah I know. they're pretty bad all right so with his death that is the end of my story well do we have any thoughts about the murder itself quick tally then so well first lots of rape oh, um, so much that rape. didn't result in murders and then two murders total? Three. Three. He had uh, the woman in the house fire. Well, there could have been more victims in that one as well. Right. So the house fire, Kitty, and then there was a third woman. Right. And But he's only been convicted of the three. 
So oh, if there okay. was people died in the in the house fire, I would think that he would be convicted that of that. And up. he confessed to those those three. So I would think that they would have tied those to him. It's fascinating he didn't have any prior convictions before Kitty. That means he was literally he was committing these rapes and murders under the radar. You know, I mean think of how much he could have gotten away with if he had just not done such a public murder on Kitty. Right. And but I mean like it is also he was doing it at a time where even if you saw something, by the time that you could get to a phone, call the police station, explain to them what happened, they get there, it would be done. That's true. And he was doing it at 2.30 at night, so he obviously thought this was a time when he could get away with it, much like the other cases. And even if he didn't, like, the house fire one, that's a pretty, like, public murder. You know what I mean? Like, that was going to cause some attention. People are going to be drawn into the, what's going on at that house. So he's very... um uh what's the word I'm looking for ostentatious with the you know that's not probably not the right one but like you know what I'm saying like he's getting bolder with each one it seems like Mm. despite the fact that he hasn't been caught right there's obviously something in him that's telling him I can get away with this I'm special yeah out of curiosity do you have any information on his IQ or intelligence level from what the cops have said he seemed extremely intelligent I mean like the job that he had I didn't know exactly what it was or whatever but it seemed to involve um you know it wasn't just grunt work one of the things that they always said was he was very cool about everything very casual about everything so he only he only spoke what he needed to say and then he was done but in prison he did get a i think it was a bachelor's in sociology and so he went through a in school and it was you know, he handled it perfectly well. So he had a pretty good intelligence. Mm-hmm. It makes you wonder if there are victims he never talked about. Right. Although, I would assume that once he's caught the second time, you know, like, in, in there, there would be no reason. To keep that a secret? Yeah, I mean, once you're serving life with cons- another, cons- or not consecutive, but uh, in tandem, 15-year sentence, like, go ahead and drop it all, like. Some, I mean, some keep it secret just because they hope it'll be a bartering chip for something in the future, you know, or sometimes they don't want to, some, some are ashamed and they don't want to talk about all the people that they've killed. Also, he, he did have a life sentence, but he was eligible for parole. So if he had more on his record, um, there was, so I was listening to another podcast, an old episode of my favorite murder. And I don't know if this actually was enacted, but they were talk- They were in England during this episode, and they were talking about that they were trying to get a law passed where if somebody is um, convicted of murder, if they do not reveal where they hid or stashed or threw the body, then they do not get parole. And I thought that was an amazing law. And why isn't that a law already? Yeah, I mean, I think that would be perfectly reasonable to... To have an effect. Right. Well, should we look at the scale? Let's look at the scale. Let's talk about the scale real quick. Yes. So the scale we're referring to is from The Anatomy of Evil by the Dr. Michael Stone. The one and only Dr. Michael Stone. Dr. Michael Stone. (laughs) Um, And uh, it's a great book. We definitely recommend our listeners pick it up. But in it, he has a scale from 1 to 22. What's 1 again, Clinton? 1 is justifiable homicide. And then all the way up to 22? Psychopathic torture murderers with torture as their primary motive. Yes. And so what we uh, like to do is take our first story here and try to uh, backseat psychology, um, make a guess on where we think they would fall on the scale of evil. So what do you got for us, Joe? 
So I have two possibilities, and these it's it's a little complicated because we have to kind of conjecture at what his motive is. The first one is fit of rage, level eight. Uh, can you give us a description of that, Clinton? Murders sparked by smoldering rage, resulting sometimes in mass murder. So why this one is if we're talking about was he set off by some kind of rage? One of the theories is that he tried to solicit Kitty as she was walking home, but she dejected him. And so it put him in a fit of rage. Mm -hmm. It could be if he was going to, if that's the, the, the motive that he has that we're going to go with, then I would say that he was a level eight. But I also think that he would fit in a level 15, which is, psychopathic cold-blooded spree or multiple murderers and this is because of the way that the police described him as being very cold and very callous he did multiple murders they were kind of the you know same mo and he did not feel any kind of guilt he did not have any remorse that he showed anyway and also in one of the definitions of level five, it has the inability to confront reality. And I see that in his excuses that he made or the, the, the stories that he, he said that he was the getaway driver or that it was actually Kitty's fault because she was, you know, calling him out um, and saying horrible things to him when it just kind of like that just doesn't hold water and doesn't seem right. Why wouldn't you consider 16, which is psychopathic persons committing multiple vicious acts, including murder? Because that would include rape. I know that he did he did multiple murders, but it seems like the the rape action as well makes me think of more for 16, which is the vicious acts. You know what I mean? Setting the house on fire, the rape. It feels like it's it's not just the murder that it's trying to he's trying to accomplish. Um, the thing about me is the. I think it was the cold-blooded part of it that threw me back into the 15 instead of 16. Because it was very much that he, when he did his confessions, it was very casual. It didn't take a lot of coercion for him to confess. It was very much like, yeah, I stole this TV and by the way, I also killed some people. I will say the whole leaving and coming back to killing Kitty. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that would be a mark of rage or if that would be a mark of this was just something I had to finish. So that might lean one way or the other. Well, the first time he left and came back, according to him, uh, Winston Mosley, he said that the the neighbor called down from his open window, leave her alone. And so he, he, he ran away. He went to his car, sat in his car, didn't see any other movement or commotion or anything like that knew that nobody was really doing anything changed his hat and then went back oh my gosh that's so crazy and it's also one of those things and you know when he went back he, he he then performed the rape and the robbery if it was rage i think that would actually diffuse that argument for me because you're leaving you're sitting in your car for 10 minutes mm -hmm. That's not your, rage. your rage your, is your going to go yeah. away. That's why I think category eight is probably not right. Just because he, he, he said himself, he woke up in the middle of the night and felt the need to go. He hunt. woke up and wanted to kill somebody. Yeah. yeah. So I think it's definitely more of a cold blooded, more of a, a schemer kind of. So the, the debate then then is 15 or 16. Uh, so cold blooded spree or multiple murders or 
committing multiple vicious acts, including murders. I still want to lean towards 16 only because there were so many different offenses. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just And we did have murder. rapes without murder. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. So I think if we're talking about personality alone, it would probably be more 16. I'm going to chime in at a 16. 16. 16 works for me. All right. Right there. I think I got hung up with the whole cold-blooded thing right. simply because he is just so, so unfeeling about it. And I, I think I definitely agree it is cold-blooded. I just think that it's... I'm guessing they put 16 higher because, again, the sadism side of it. He clearly... He didn't just like killing. He liked, well, raping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. And I'm imagining he went to jail. He must have been studied by a psychologist. He must be actually having, like, psychopathy. Like, he has been diagnosed with that. That was never listed in anything that I read, mm-hmm. that he w- has been diagnosed with any kind of mental disorder. Mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. So we're going to put Winston Mosley down as a 16. He's a 16. Clinton, put it on the board. On the board. Winston Mosley. Which puts him close to... Let's see. Um, Peter Manuel yes. is at a 14. Or a 16, depending on if you're asking Rachel <laughs> or Clinton. True. <laughs> Straight um, up a 16. I think we decided a 14. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, he's the he's the closest one he's to. All right. Are we ready for the second story? I'm ready. Clinton, are you ready? I am ready. I love our second stories. I do too. Sometimes I like researching them better than the, than the murderers. But just because I think I find stuff that I don't know as much, maybe. I don't know. Also, it's very strange to me that last one, like, that he just died in 19, or in 2016. Like, that's that's very recent. Right? That's really recent. I mean, the case itself took place in the 60s. 911 is just not that old, which is fascinating when we think of it as something that you learn as a child. All right, for our second story today, we've got the disappearance of Dorothy Forstein. Dorothy was born in 1909. Her husband was Jules Forstein, but the way they got to be married was a bit of a different route. They were childhood sweethearts, but then they went their separate ways. Jules married a woman named Molly. They had two beautiful daughters, Myrna and Marcy. And unfortunately, Molly died when she gave birth to Marcy. So at this point, Jules and Dorothy reconnected and they got married and Dorothy became the mother to Myrna and Marcy. So at this point, Myrna is 10. Marcy is an infant. Okay. Couple questions. Please. One, just because I'm curious, do we have Dorothy's maiden name then? Cooper. Cooper, okay. Because when you said his name, I'm like, oh my god, it's her brother. (laughs) (laughs) No. So, okay. Okay. Gross. (laughs) Um, So then, uh, around what age is she when she got married? It was in the 40s, so she's in her 30s. Okay. Yeah. I don't remember the exact date when they got married. She was an old maid. Yeah, I think she she might have been waiting for Jules, because apparently they had a very happy marriage. Dorothy herself was seen as a lovable woman around town. She was well-liked by everyone in her neighborhood. She loved the girls, even though they weren't biologically hers. And then later in 1943, she and Jules had a son named Edward. At this point, Jules, who had been working in law as a clerk, he became a magistrate in Philadelphia. So a magistrate is a judge, basically. So, moving on to January 25th, 1945, Dorothy goes shopping, leaving the children with some neighbors. When she arrives home, a neighbor sees a man following behind her. But the neighbor, 
assuming this is a safe neighborhood, that there's nothing wrong with that. And which is incorrect. <laughs> so what <laughs> what a world like like it's it's an alien world. Right. Because I mean, like I, at this point, if anybody of course at this point, nobody knows their neighbors. That's true. But everybody's calling every fucking buddy on anyone they think is suspicious, mm-hmm. whether they are or not. And the thing is, is like this man followed her up to her three-story house you know i mean like he followed her up her drive so the neighbor like i don't know if they thought he was helping her with the groceries or i don't know exactly why they thought this was okay but obviously she did she thought it was fine and she didn't really say anything about it i mean i suppose in fairness there are a lot more non-lethal reasons for somebody to follow somebody and that you know like there could be any number of oh he's Maybe she has a gentleman collar. Maybe right. you know, like there, there's a there are a lot of innocent reasons. That's true. He could have arrived to deliver something at the same time she arrived home. It, it could be anything. But either way, the neighbor saw no reason to call this out. And what have we learned? Trust nobody. Trust nobody. Um, and use nine one one. Yes, and unfortunately, that was the case in this issue because, uh, or I should say, that was the issue in this case because um, as soon as Dorothy opened the door to her house. The man jumped out and began beating her with his fists in a blunt object. She stumbled into the hallway and knocked the hall telephone off the hook. And since this was the 40s, an operator automatically heard it. Yes. Heard the beating and she called the police who came and rescued Dorothy. So the police did show up in time to save Dorothy. Um, Yay, operator. Yes. the, The man took off running. When she was taken to the hospital, Dorothy realized she suffered a broken jaw a shattered nose, a fractured shoulder, and a brain concussion. No one could identify her attacker. Nobody knew who it was. Dorothy seemed to be targeted as nothing was taken. There was no robbery. There was nothing like that. Uh, There was a bit of a theory that it could have been someone who appeared before Jules in court because he's a judge at this point and they were taking revenge because of some ruling. But neither Jules nor Dorothy had any known enemies. And Jules had a very firm alibi, so it wasn't him. Um, and so it remained a mystery. After this attack, Dorothy had a complete change of personality. She was no longer carefree and bubbly and sweet and this wonderful woman that I already knew. She became very paranoid, very anxious that someone was going to attack her again. That there was always going to be someone out there after her. Rightfully I mean, so. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, that's absolutely, but can you imagine living your life like that? Right. So, um, and unfortunately, something bad did happen. On October 18th, 1949, so this is four years after the attack, Dorothy is roughly 40 years old, Jules had to attend a political banquet. Now, I should tell you, as a husband, they had a very happy marriage, and Jules, after her initial attack, never left the house. Like, he he rarely went out anywhere. He kept Dorothy company all the time because he didn't want to leave her alone, but he did have to attend this political banquet. There's some question on, like, why didn't Dorothy go with him? But who knows right at this point. She probably stopped going anywhere, everywhere. That's true. She may not have been really participating in social events. But he did have to go. So he he left, but he called Dorothy to say he wouldn't be out late. I guess he was going like right after work. So she said everything was fine. And she signed off with, be sure to miss me. And unfortunately, that was the last thing he ever heard from his wife. Jules comes home around 1130 at night and he finds Edward and Marcy crying. So these are the two youngest. At this point, Marcy is nine years old and Edward, I believe, is six. Six. Um, Myrna had been at a friend's house for the night. They were crying because mother was gone. Dorothy was gone. 
she couldn't be found. Jules called the neighbors, he called hospitals, and he did call the police. He thought maybe she was visiting with some friends, and he thought it was weird that he she'd leave the kids at home at night, but maybe she popped over for a glass of wine or whatever, and the kids were sleeping or, or whatever, because it was pretty late. But she had gone without her purse, keys, or money. So there was no forced entry. There was nothing amiss in the house. All they had were crying children and a missing Dorothy. The only lead came from nine-year-old Marcy. She said she woke up in the middle of the night and saw a man going into her mother's room. She said Dorothy was lying down on the floor. She looked sick. The man picked Dorothy up, slung her over his shoulder, and walked out. Marcy asked him where he was taking her mother, and he said, Go back to sleep, little one. Your mommy has been sick, but she will be all right now. And he patted her on the head. And she went back to the bed. That is so dark. Right? And it's also like creepy, like Grinch style almost. <laughs> like he's stealing the Christmas tree. It's really, it's that's, horrifying. That's, I mean, like, oh my God. Right? The, and so. <laughs> the image is in my head right now. Marcy said she had never seen the man before, but he wore a brown hat and brown jacket. But she immediately went into Edward's room and sat with him and they just started crying. Jules returned home 15 minutes later. The man locked the house door on his way out. With a key? Yeah, he would have a key or... Or it could be one of those locks that you can lock and then pull the door closed. I'm not sure. But he, but her keys were home. Dorothy's keys were home. So, I don't know. The, the, but when the police, when Jules came home, the door was locked. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder... I mean, that could maybe say something to the non-forced entry if yes. he has a key. Some He was able to get in either... Dorothy knew him and let him in. But Dorothy was in her pajamas, too. She was found... Up, she wasn't found. She had uh, red silk pajamas and slippers. That's what Marcy said she was wearing. Also, if it's so late at night, a paranoid woman letting people in the yeah, house? probably not likely. The weird parts of the story are also that no one saw a man carrying a woman down the street. There was no sign of a car. There was no robbery. There were no fingerprints anywhere that, they di- that weren't related to the family members. There was no fight in the house. The door was locked. There were literally no suspects. And also the weirdest thing is that the news story died out after about a week. Like it came out, it was published in a ton of different newspapers across the country. But by the end of October, nobody was talking about it. They never found Dorothy. Never. She's just been missing for, what, 90 years now? 80 years? So I don't necessarily have a murderer in this story, but... I'm assuming something very foul happened to Dorothy. She didn't come home. She was just sick and that man was going to tell make her better. <laughs> yes. There are very few theories about this as well. A lot of people seem to think it was Jules. That Jules did something to his wife. He arranged for this guy to come get her. He, uh, there are some reports he didn't contact the police until two days later. But again, it's the 40s. You know, I mean, I don't know. And he's a judge. He could have gone through back channels and talked to someone in his own precinct or whatever. But either way, those, those reports are a little weird. But the thing is, is that all reports of their marriage was that it was very happy. Jules was very protective of her after, their, after her first attack. It's just, it's the oddest thing because I would, I would probably say it was the husband. It's always the husband, right? I mean, that's usually what it comes down to. Right. But there doesn't seem to be any indication that Jules was actually involved in it. So who targeted Dorothy? Oh, that was another reason why people think it might be Jules because Marcy said mother was laying on the floor. She looked sick. Some people think that Jules was given, gave Dorothy something in her drink that night before he left or something like that. 
She drank it. She passed out and then arranged for this guy to come and get her. But there's really no indication that Jules was involved. And he is the only even outlying suspect. Yeah, but even that, like, the cops never arrested him. As far as I can tell, he was never even a per- person of interest. Like, he was he was never never really considered for it. He was at the banquet. He had a, he had a firm alibi for what was going on with him. See, that would, be, that would, I think, lead itself to that he hired somebody because he's like, okay, I'm not going to be home. I'll have an in- alibi, and you can come at this time. And it just seems like such life, a... But, but yeah, it just seems... It also is like, why? Yeah, there's no motive for it. Why well, would Jules want to get rid of his wife? Because she's different now. Like, I'm not saying this is justified, but scenario A here we're talking, it is the husband. Mm-hmm. Why would he do it after a happy marriage? I mean, it could just be... It was not as happy of a marriage after that incident and living with a very paranoid and, you yeah. know, changed woman. Maybe he... Like, but it's also the 40s. And when you think about it that way, if he got rid of her, who's taking care of those kids? Who's cooking his dinner? You know what I mean? Like, it just seems like if this is someone you cared about, and they were high school sweethearts. They've known each other forever. I just can't see... I, from all the things I've read, Jules just didn't seem like the guy to do this. But then it begs the question, if it is linked to her first attack, why? Why was this guy like hunting her for four years? Right. Like he came after her once and then he came after her again. Like who was this person? I can't find any cases that Jules had that warrants that kind of revenge behavior. So it's just, it's the weirdest thing. And they, and then she was never found. She was never found. That's just, that's crazy. It's a very scary thought that in that, like being miss took for somebody else mm. you know and like it maybe had nothing to do with jules maybe it had nothing to do with her but somebody thought she was somebody else you know that's why if you hear sometimes um these murders that were happening like oh they just moved into their new house and then someone you know showed up and they were murdered it's like did, were they really looking for the person who was there before and thinking that you know the identity of the new person was the old person and they killed them and then you'd never know because there was no reason right so if dorothy just happened to be wrong person at the wrong time kind of issue or like she just resembled somebody that she wasn't who was Mm -hmm. mixed up in something also the cool behavior of whoever did this just turning to the little girl and being like it's fine go back to bed everything's cool you know he didn't react angrily he didn't Try to hurt the little... He didn't tie them up. He just took Dorothy and walked right out. Like... And there are people who are like... Who are suggesting that maybe even Marcy's story is not real. That she made that up. But it's very specific for... True. And like little kids like that, especially when spoken to like right after events happen or whatever, they remember stuff. Yeah. Like the the age of telling children, oh, you, it's just a dream or you made that up or whatever is past. And- right. And as far as I could tell, the police took it very seriously. They took what Marcy said as a lead, as something to follow up. So yeah, uh, that is the disappearance of Dorothy Forstein. She never seen again. Creepy. Very. It is creepy. Man, really these unsolved ones, they like they get to me because now I'm like, no, I need a resolution to this. I know. <laughs> it's hard. Especially just like, it's, it's one of those things that's like, she's never found. Like, how do you hide 
and then, a forty year old woman and then at in this red point, silk pajamas. <laughs> and at this point, because it happened in the forties, there will be no resolution. No, most of the people who are involved with it are, with it are dead or were the children who are grown up. I tried to find out like what happened to the kids, like just where they ended up in life, and there's really not any information that you can get without some like heavy digging. Not to like bother them or anything like that, but I'm just curious if you know, someone went into law enforcement or, or legal stuff or what happened to Jules, you know, things like that. And at that point, they're not even looking for anything that is forensic information at all. Right. I mean, they won't, they wouldn't even have the knowledge. Right. And again, it was the 40s. So like the one thing they looked for was for fingerprints. And as long as that guy was wearing gloves, he was fine. So there was nothing. No fourth century, no fingerprints. No fight. There was no... Uh, he wasn't robbing the house. He wasn't doing anything. He just came for Dorothy. And then the whole lying on the floor thing. Like, what if she really was sick? Like, what if something had gone wrong and he... Maybe he did come to beat her up or whatever, but he found that she was having a heart attack or something and he just walked out with her. Like, it's just so... It's so odd. All right. So let's let's take a vote of scenario a, it's the husband, or scenario B, it's the prior attacker. Or scenario C, it just happens to be a completely random, odd second experience. Or scenario <laughs> kind of A, where the husband hired the original right, attacker. Yes, yes. Yeah. That, yeah, that's what I actually And he fucked it up. <laughs> and so he had... Well, you think he, he also hired the, the first attack yeah. as well? And then, but oh. he, and he was supposed to kill her, thought he had, didn't. And so the judge had to... Lay low for a bit and then try again. Do we know that the first wife died in childbirth? <laughs> yes, as far as we can okay. tell. Yeah. I, you know, it, it really should be the husband just because it was, it's so calculated. Like, why would someone, a kind of with Kitty, right? Why would someone attack her, leave, come back four years later and come and get her? You know what I mean? Like, what is so great about Dorothy forcing this, you know, for all accounts, very normal suburban housewife? But I just can't believe it's the husband in this case. I don't know. There was just all these all these accounts of, of Jules being just a cool dude. Like, I don't know. I just don't think it's the husband. I don't know. BTK was a guy who went to a church and had friends BTK too. was seen as like an asshole though. Yeah, I mean like, <laughs> that's fine. But I mean, it's just one of those things where a lot of times it's surprising what people can do or are like when... They feel like they have a reason to be. Maybe that's another reason why I was looking up the kids to see if they ever came out with something about their dad or something like that. I don't know. Especially when it's like husband and wife or like family annihilators, right? Where mm-hmm. it's a man who's never done anything, doesn't seem to want anything, but something happens in his life. And then all of a sudden, this is how this is the next thing that he has to do to go on to his life again. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Clint? Well, it was a, a man that had just turned 40, and maybe he's just like, uh, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> That's terrible. So are you uh, saying we need to watch out? <laughs> That's awful. Newsflash man murders two women in <laughs> podcast booth. Cool. All right. <laughs> sources? Yes, let's cite our sources. All right, so for Dorothy's case, there's a couple you of different... You can't go I in order. Uh, my apologies. I don't. I think because I just read my story, I would do my... Well, you want all the attention. Yeah, yeah, okay, all right. All right, the sources for the murder of Kitty Genovese are a Dateline documentary, History.com, and the New York Times. 
And for the disappearance of Dorothy Forstein, there's a few YouTube videos of also true crime enthusiasts who did her story. But I primarily use the American Hauntings website. And Reddit actually has an open thread right now on Dorothy's story. It's short, um, but if you have any information, I'm sure they'd love to hear from you. I love Reddit. Mm, it's good stuff. So, okay, here we are. What the fuck? <laughs> Clinton. It's gotten to I don't that know point. How that it's gotten to that point, ladies and gentlemen. Clinton is so drunk he cannot keep food in his mouth. Yeah, it's just pouring out everywhere. Clinton also has a, for those who don't know him, has a very large beard and tends to find little snacks and stuff in there. I don't so. think large is the right uh, adjective. It's luxurious. Luxurious. I'll go with luxurious. Sure, sure. Let's go with that. Homeless. No. <laughs> Anyway, this is, this is very cared for. It is actually. He does it's cultivated. He, does he grew it himself, and he does. He lives myself. in a house. In case people were worried, he's fine. He's fine. He lives in a house. Thank you for joining us for Murder Brunch this week. Just in case you were curious, Clinton, hit us up with our Facebook page. Our Facebook page is Murder Brunch Podcast, and Twitter is at Murder Brunch. Instagram Murder Brunch. Website is murderbrunchpodcast.com. And then, of course, for those emails once more. Is murderbrunchbunch at gmail.com. Lovely. Joe? Yes. Uh, <laughs> you look at you have something to add? I was not paying attention. Anyway, thank you all for listening. Remember to do that whole rate, review, and subscribe thing. Mm-hmm. And join us next time for more mayhem. More murder. More snacks. Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>